out. I didn't bring any snakes tonight, so we're not going there. Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 1. And if you have that place and you're able, let's stand for just a moment. And we'll read the first seven verses. It says through verse 21 on the screen, but we're not going to get that far tonight, so we're not going to read that far. The Bible says in verse 1, Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more subtle, crafty, shrewd, than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. We'll stop there. <clears throat> you can be seated. Thank you for standing. All right. Now thus far in this series of messages, we've learned two important, what I believe are unassailable truths. And these truths form the basis for our teaching on the suffering and the sovereignty of God. And I'm presenting those two truths in the form of two propositions. And I'm just going to give them to you again tonight briefly. We'll get to a place where we stop bringing them up. But you need to be reminded of this. The first one is our world is filled with evil, pain, and suffering. Nobody's going to disagree with that. We all know that. We've all experienced that. We see it around us every day. Evil is in our world, and that's just the way it is. Nobody can argue that. It is a true consequence of living in a fallen world. The second proposition is this. God is sovereign over all things. Now, by sovereign, we mean that God is in control, has supreme power, and supreme authority. Now, some will quibble about this one. They don't believe God is sovereign over all things. They believe that God has given to humanity a measure of free will and that people do as they please, and God is bound to change His plan based upon what we do. I will say for the record, I do not believe that. God is in absolute control, and we never change His plan regardless of what we do. But the Bible asserts there is evil in the world. We know that. And the Bible asserts without question that God has all authority in heaven and in earth over all events which come to pass. Now herein lies the root of the problem. If God is sovereign, and if God controls all things, and if God is really Lord, then He did by the most wise and holy counsel of His own will 
freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And if God did that, and if He is who the Bible says He is, and if He is sovereign and truly in control, then why does He allow evil in this world? This is a dilemma which has caused problems for humanity for thousands of years. The first message I preached out of this series dealt with the teachings of a Greek philosopher by the name of Epicurus. Epicurus lived 300 years before Jesus, and he was the first person outside the Bible to write about the problem of evil in the world. And as I told you then, his theories are called the Epicurean trilemma. Let me give those to you again because they do help us, I think, get into what I want to talk about tonight. The first one is this. It's a question. Is God willing to prevent evil but not able? If that's true, then God is not omnipotent. That is, does God desire for there to be no evil and He's unable to eradicate it, then that undermines His sovereignty. The second part of this trilemma is, is God able to prevent evil but not willing. Is God able to do it? Does God sit in heaven knowing He has the power to stop all of this and then God does not do that? Then Epicurus looked at that and said, if that is true, then God is malevolent or an evil God. So he says on the one hand, either God is weak or God is mean. And isn't that how people look at it? I mean, they say, why can't God do something about this? And they say, well, God can do something about it, but He doesn't, so that means God doesn't care. That's how people look at God. And so Epicurus took these two thoughts and he brought them together and he asked this question, is God neither willing or able? And he said, if that is true, then why call Him God? And if what Epicurus says is true, then God does not deserve to be called God. But what Epicurus says is not true. First, God is well able to stop evil if He wanted to. Number two, God is willing to stop evil, and He will in His own time and in His own way. What we need to understand up front tonight is that God has a purpose for everything which takes place in the world, whether it is good or evil. And that's what we'll, I hope we'll come to see out of Genesis chapter number 3. Because we know tonight that our God is an omnipotent God. He controls all things. I believe that. And nothing happens which God did not ordain by His sovereign decree. That's a tough nut to get your mind around right there. That is a difficult concept. But everything that happens, happens because God decreed it. We also know that God is not an evil and malevolent God. In fact, God is holy and everything God does is good. In fact, the Bible tells us that God is so holy that He cannot even look upon evil. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. Habakkuk says about God, Thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. He got that right. That's who God is. And then he said this. He said, Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue when the wicked devoureth, the man that is more righteous than he. Habakkuk there is dealing with the age-old problem of evil in the world. You see, in his day, the evil Babylonians were being used by God to punish the less evil nation of Judah. The people of God were under attack by the evil Babylonians, 
And Habakkuk looked at this and he said, I don't understand this. This is a paradox. I can't understand what you're doing here because they're far worse than we are and yet you're using these evil people to punish good people. How in the world can that be? And that is the classic statement regarding the puzzle of how an all-powerful God can allow sin to continue unchecked in the world. Why does God do what God does? Why does God permit, allow, whatever you want to say, why does God continue to let evil run rampant in the world? Now, we deal with this, right? How can a sovereign God allow evil, pain, and suffering and sin to exist in a world where He controls everything? That is the problem we want to explore tonight. So I want to take this account of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and discuss with you the problem of evil in a world where every event is decreed by the sovereign will of God. And I want to talk to you about why does evil exist. And I will say this. The answers to this question are very elusive. And I know tonight I will not satisfy all the questions you have about the existence of evil in our world. The text will, however, help us to understand where evil came from and hopefully why evil still exists in the world today. So let's explore this account of the fall of man and notice some facts which arise out of this story. And hopefully these facts will help us to understand and answer the question in a little small measure anyway of why does evil exist. Now this is all I'm going to get tonight, but here it is in verses 1 through 7. I want to talk to you about the commencement of human evil. Now, the first seven verses of our text, as you know, they relate the fall of the human race. We do not have time tonight to explore all the details contained in these verses. So what I want to do is kind of just relate the details of the fall and show you how evil came into existence in our world today. Now, verse number one, the first thing we find here is that Eve, the woman, she doesn't have a name at this point, the woman is approached by the serpent. We might as well go ahead and get this out of the way. The serpent was none other than the devil. In fact, he is called that in the book of Revelation chapter number 12, and he tempted her to take the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When God created man, he created Adam, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden. And God gave him dominion over that whole garden. You find that in chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 8 through 15. God only placed one restriction upon the man he made. In verses 16 and 17, God said this, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. God said you can have anything you want in this beautiful garden but that one tree. You cannot touch it. You can't eat it. You can't have of it. You can't have it. The day you eat it, you're going to die. So Satan comes to Eve in the garden. And the first thing he does is call the word of God into question. Verse 1, he says, Yea, hath God said. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman tells him, we can't eat of every tree except for that one. And God said, we can't eat of that because if we do, we're going to die. And the devil said, ye shall not surely die. What he's telling her there 
is that you can take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil without any consequences. He goes on to insinuate in verse number 5 that God is holding out on Adam and Eve. And God doesn't want them eating of that tree because God knows if they do, then their eyes will be open and they'll become like Him and they'll understand the difference between good and evil. Let's just say this right here. Adam and Eve had no concept of good and evil. They were both perfectly innocent. They did not know what sin was. It was not on their radar Everything they knew was right. They didn't know how to do anything wrong at this point. But the devil says, if you eat that fruit, you'll know. And so in verse number 6, we find Eve looking at that fruit. The Bible says she saw that it was good uh, for food. It was pleasant to the eye. It was a tree to be desired to make one wise. Then it said she took of the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Now you notice the progression. She saw, she took, she did eat, she gave, and he did eat. Satan's temptation found fertile ground in Eve's heart. She fell for his lies, and she disobeyed God, and Adam followed her in her disobedience of the Lord. And as soon as they ate the fruit, the Bible says the eyes of them both were opened in verse number 7, and for the first time they know they're naked. Now they've been naked since the day God made them, but it never had been a problem. There was no shame attached to their nakedness, but all of a sudden, because sin has entered the human race, they feel shame. And in their shame, they attempt to cover their nakedness by making aprons or skirts, if you will, of fig leaves. They're trying to cover themselves up. So what you have in those first seven verses is a brief account of how sin and evil entered the human race. Innocence has now been destroyed forever. Communion with God has been lost. Man has become a sinner, and nothing will ever be the same for them are for their offspring. Everything has changed. Now, I call this first point the, commit, the commencement of human evil. because, And it's human evil because evil already existed before Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the forbidden tree. And this is obvious because when Satan comes to her in verse number 1, he already has evil in his heart. Evil is already in the universe, but it's just not in humanity until humanity disobeys God. Now to figure out where Satan became evil, you've got to go back to two passages, one in Isaiah 14, the other in Ezekiel chapter number 28. And in those two verses, two judgments are pronounced on two human kings. The first is the king of Babylon, the second is the king of Tyre. And these two human kings are judged by God for their pride, their arrogance, and for presuming they could take the place of God. Now, if you read those accounts in detail, and we're going to look at them in just a minute, you're going to see, I think, I hope you do, that it seems to be talking about something more than just judgments upon human beings. In these two judgments, I believe the Lord is talking about a human king. But I believe he's also talking about Satan himself. 
because Satan was the one who energized these two human kings, and he was the one they followed. It was evil in the devil's heart which seduced these men and caused them to stand up to God in their pride. If you will, take your Bible and turn to, uh, to Isaiah chapter number 14 just for a moment. I'm sorry, turn to Ezekiel 28 first. Let's go there first. Ezekiel chapter 28 will deal with this uh, prophecy to the king of Tyrus first. And we're going to read this. It's a lengthy passage, but bear with me. Actually, it's not that long, but it just seems like. There's a lot of words in it, not many pictures, so we'll just start there and read it. Ezekiel chapter 28 and verse number 12. The Bible says, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now watch this next line. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now we know that King Tyrus had never been there, had he? So whoever God is talking to here had been in the garden of God. And God says about him, Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. That's another clue. We're talking about someone who is not only human, not just a human king, but there is a, an intended prophecy preaching here to some other creature beside a human. An anointed cherub is an angel. When it talks about a cherub that covereth, it gives the idea of one that would stand over God and stretch his wings out over the Lord. And God said, I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And here it is. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. Here it is. Till iniquity was found in thee. Now evidently in heaven is where evil was born. How do you like that? Evil had its birth in the very throne room of God. In the heart of this being called Satan. Now turn to Isaiah 14 just for a minute. Isaiah 14 and verse number 12. I hope that's right. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse number 12. Let me just flip over there and see if I'm telling you correctly. Thank you, brother. Isaiah 14, verse number 12. The Bible says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Now watch what he says. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Then God says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Now what we see in Satan in these two passages, if indeed they speak about him, which I believe they do, what we see in him is the same pride, rebellion, and wickedness we see in ourselves 
and which came into the human race when Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. So as I said, evil was born in the heart of the devil. Now the Bible tells us that since the beginning of time, Satan has had one objective. Revelation 12.4 The Bible's talking about the devil and his tail through the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Satan's plan since the dawn of time has been to stymie the purposes of God. He did everything he could do to ensure that Jesus would not be born and Satan has always worked to hinder and oppose God's perfect sovereign plan. He's tried to oppose God's plan. He's tried to, tried to thwart God's purposes in creation and in redemption. And while he has been successful in, in deceiving the world, he has failed in every attempt to derail God's sovereign purposes. Now, I said all of that to say this. There was a time in this world when evil was not here. When God created this world, He created a good world. A world which was free of evil, pain, and suffering. Because you go back to the creation in Genesis chapter 1, and every time God created anything and finished an act of creation, God would look at it and pronounce it to be good. Several times in chapter number 1, God does that. And when salvation was completed on the sixth day, the Bible says God saw everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, had God made this world with evil already in it, God would not have said it was very good. When God made it, there was no evil in the world. There was evil in Satan's heart. There was evil in the hearts of the angels, a third of the angels that He took with Him, but there was not evil in the world when God made it. You get that? Could you imagine a world where there's no evil, pain, or suffering? I hope you can imagine because if you're saved, you're going to live in one someday. Now, from the creation account, we learn two important truths. Here we are. Ready for this? Number one, suffering was not created by or authored by God. God made a good universe and good human beings. That's one thing we learn. A second thing we learn is that there was a time when there was no evil in our world. So those two truths are important. Suffering was not a part of God's original creation. Suffering has not always existed. Evil has not always existed. One theologian by the name of Cornelius Plantinga said this, It is not the way it is supposed to be. And I agree with that. This world is not the way God made it. It has been infected. It has been ruined. It has been cheapened. So, now we face a problem. Are you with me mentally on this? We face a problem. God made the world good and free from evil, pain, and suffering. Yet, evil, pain, and suffering exist. Right? God did not create evil, and yet evil exists. God is sovereign and in control of all things, 
and yet his creation rebelled against him. Stay with me. Does the existence of evil undermine God's sovereignty? Does the rebellion of his creation call his power into question? Of course not. Now, as we learned in the last sermon, when we discussed the sovereignty of God, here's where we're about to step off into the deep water, so hang on. As we learned when we talked about the sovereignty of God, nothing happens which God does not decree. I'm going to slow down so you can get this. Nothing happens which God does not decree. God controls absolutely everything. There is no evil outside of His plan. And there is no evil which is outside of His purposes. You with me? He knows everything which can be known. He knows everything which is knowable. He has comprehensive power to do everything which can be done and everything which is possible. That's what the Bible says about God. In His perfect knowledge, in His perfect power, in His perfect wholeness and expressing His perfect love, God ordains everything. Everything. And that messes some folk up real bad. So here's where, here's where it gets bad. You ready for this? Hang on to your hat. Was the fall of God, or the fall of man rather, was the fall of man a part of God's sovereign decree? Yes. Absolutely. Does this make God responsible for the fall of man? Absolutely not. Did God ordain it would happen? Yes, He did. Did God make it happen? No, He did not. His creatures did exactly what they wanted to do, but in doing what they wanted to do, they fulfilled the decrees of God. You say, that doesn't make a lick of sense to me. Me neither. But that is what the Bible teaches. Now, God decreed the fall of man in order to fulfill His sovereign purpose of sending Jesus to die for the people of God. You might remember that before the world was made, the Bible says that Jesus is the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before God even made the world, Jesus had already been slated to die for God's people on the cross. For us to even need a Savior, that would mean that there had to be a fall into sin from which to save us. And for that fall of sin to fall into sin to happen, it had to be part of what God decreed would happen. Yet when the fall did occur in time, Adam and Eve were morally responsible for their decision to disobey God. They were not forced, they were not coerced into doing what they did. Adam and Eve sinned against God because it was what they wanted to do in the moment. Yet even in their sin, God had a purpose in what they did. Because their actions fulfilled God's sovereign decree and paved the way for God to send a Redeemer who would die for the people of God and prove the love of God for His people. You say, preacher, that is so hard to comprehend. Amen to that. If I'm God, I can decree anything I want to. Why would I decree such thing as this? 
The only thing I can say is that God does it for His own glory and for His own purposes. You and I do not have to understand it to believe it. I can't understand it, but I believe it. Do I believe God is guilty of sin? No, I do not. Do I believe God is responsible for any evil that's ever happened? No, I do not. But do I believe that every bit of it was part of His plan? Yes, I do. Because God had to decree it or it would not have happened, but that does not make God responsible. So I get it, folks. This is hard to comprehend. And when we think about God sovereignly decreeing everything which happens, both good things and evil things, it makes us say, well, wait a minute. If God has decreed evil, doesn't that make Him responsible? No, because God doesn't make anyone do what they do. Evil people do what they want to do. But in doing the evil they do, they ultimately fulfill the plan of God. Let's talk about that for a minute. Give you some practical examples from the Bible. God did not make David commit adultery with Bathsheba. He didn't do that. He didn't go to David and nudge him to go over there and take another man's wife. David did what David wanted to do, and yet God used David's sin for his own glory. God did not make Saul of Tarsus participate in the death of Stephen and the persecution of the early church. But God used the sin of Saul of Tarsus to accomplish his purposes in the world. God did not make the Jewish leaders have Jesus crucified, but he used their evil to fulfill his plan. God did not make Judas Iscariot betray the Lord Jesus, but God used his betrayal to accomplish the death of Christ. God did not make Pontius Pilate condemn Christ to be crucified, but God used his actions for his own glory. God did not make the Roman soldiers nail Jesus to the cross. They did it because it's what they were commanded to do. It's what they wanted to do. But God used that to put the Redeemer on the cross for our sins. And the list could go on and on and on. Now, as you know, the Bible... And the world around us is filled with innumerable examples of evil. In each case, hear me when I say this, and here's where you, you've already disagreed, I'm sure, with some things I said. You're going to disagree with this too. In every case where you find evil, the evil was ordained by God, but the evil was not committed by God. And there is a big, big difference. The people who carry out evil in the world they do it because it's what they want to do. Yet in His sovereignty, God is able to use even the evil deeds of people to fulfill His divine purposes. That was tough, wasn't it? And so I don't know where you are on all of this. It took me a number of years to get my mind around it. I remember when I first came across this idea of God's sovereignty and it really dawned on me what it meant. I, it's probably about 25 or so years ago, and I was preaching through the book of Romans at that time, and I was in chapter 9, I was in my study, and I was preparing the Sunday sermon, and I came across this concept of sovereignty, and I began to pray over it, I began to meditate on it, and began to read Scripture on it, and it finally dawned on me then what God was saying in His Word, and I was like, oh no, i got to go preach this now. And people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think I'm a heretic. I've been called that. People are going to say he has lost his mind. 
Nobody believes that stuff. Well, actually, a, a good number of people do. In fact, a good number of godly people do. In fact, a great host of people believe it. And I'm one of them, and I'm not ashamed of it. Because my God is a sovereign God. But I'll tell you, it shook my world when I finally was able to get my head around what God was saying. God is sovereign, and God ordains everything, even evil, and yet God is not morally responsible for evil. Okay, you with me? Now, evil exists in our world because man chose to sin against God. That's the bottom line. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Evil exists because sin intruded into God's good creation. When sin came, so did pain and suffering and all the other consequences of evil. And we'll delve into those consequences the next time we talk about this if you still have the stomach to come back. But I want you to understand this. Evil in our world, suffering in our world, is an intruder. And by beginning the creation with that which was good, rather than the fall of man which was evil, the Scriptures proclaim sin to be an intruder. But when sin came, it gave birth to its evil children, suffering and death. We live in a world which is not natural. Evil is loose in our world. Why there is evil and why God chose to decree or ordain evil in the first place is a riddle we cannot solve. We could rack our brains about it, but we will never come to a satisfactory conclusion until God winds this thing up and we're home for, with Him. But along the way, questions plague our minds. Why does God rule His universe the way He does? Why is there such seeming inequity in suffering? By that I mean why do some people seem to live in relative ease while others are continually pounded by brutal blows? Why is that? Why did this awful situation happen to my family? Questions like that, they plague us. And it's hard for us to find a satisfactory answer for them. What we need to take away from this message tonight is this. You ready? There are no real answers. <laughs> there are. I spent all this time to get to that sentence right there and tell you there are no real answers. If you discount the sovereignty of God, you have absolutely no hope. But if you believe God is sovereign and in control of all things, then when evil does come, you understand that if this evil exists, it exists because God has decreed it and God has a purpose in it. Therefore, I can go through this knowing God has a plan. And that gives you hope, and that gives you comfort, and that helps you along the way. We cannot understand why God does what He does. We cannot comprehend why God uh, chooses what He chooses for His world. But we can understand that God is God, and He has the right to do as He pleases with His creation. And if we try to figure Him out, what we've done is we'll find ourselves trapped in a quagmire from which we cannot escape. And God reminds us time and again in the Bible, but very clearly here, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. As far as, as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
So what is our hope? Our hope is an understanding something relatively simple. And it's this. The world is not the way it was. But thankfully, as Genesis 3.15, which we'll come to, I hope, next time tells us, and the rest of the Bible makes increasingly clear, the world will not always be like it is now. In this interval between the fall of man and the return of Christ, God's initial good creation and that time of final recreation, sin, suffering, and death exist. But somehow, the good sovereign God, He guides history in such a way that He plans that evil occurs and even utilizes that evil to bring about His intended purposes for creation. He plans it, He guides it, He restrains it, and He uses it. And in doing so, He will glorify Himself and benefit His creatures. So suffering may be mysterious, but it's not pointless. And a biblical view of the providence of God affirms that all things ultimately have purpose, even the evil acts which appear so completely senseless. When we come back to this text next time, we're going to explore the results of the fall and how God intends to redeem the world from the fall. For now, understand this. Sin is an intruder in God's world. It does not belong here. The evil effects of sin do not belong here. And in spite of the existence of evil, God is sovereign over all things, even over evil. And know this, God has a plan to eradicate evil forever. God even has a plan to use evil in this world and in your life for your good and His glory. The Bible says we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now watch this. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. Whom He justified, them He also glorified. And what Paul is saying there is it may be tough now, but God's going to take you home. He's already determined you're going through it and you're coming out of it and you're going to be with Him someday. God has a plan. It might hurt while you're here, but God is working in all of it. And I know these are deep waters. And I know these concepts are hard to understand. But for me, knowing God is sovereign, it gives me hope. It brings brings joy to my heart because, man, it comforts me. Because I know in the end, God will prevail. Evil will be defeated. Sin and Satan will be destroyed. And God will put to death all the works of the devil. Now, we've got to live with evil, pain, and suffering right now. We have to do that. But the day will come when wholeness, righteousness, goodness, and grace will prevail. And let all of those who believe the Bible rejoice in the sovereignty of God... And say, even if I can't comprehend every nuance of it, I'm going to believe it. And whether you want to say God ordained evil, God decreed evil, God allowed evil, God permitted evil, it all comes back to the same thing. It's only here because God lets it be here. And you better hope He has a plan to control it. Because if that's something that God in this world without His 
allowing it to, we're in deep trouble. If one thing can slip by his power under his radar, what else can slip in? What else could the devil do? It's here because God wants it here for the time being. The day will come when he'll no longer want it here, and it'll be gone forever. So we'll come back next time, again, if you have the stomach for it. And we'll talk about the consequences of evil in our world and God's plan to, to, to destroy evil in the end. And then we'll move deeper in this topic. Fortunately, the rest of it won't be quite as deep as the last two Sunday nights. Amen? Let's take a minute to pray. If you need to find help, you can find it in the altar. We're just going to pray. The altars are open. You mind God as you need to do so. If you need to be saved, you can call on Christ. He'll save you. We're going to pray together and ask God to help us understand some of these matters. Father.